Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wayward Podcast, where we learn to live life on the way of God's Word. Today's episode is being recorded on December 28th, which puts us about three days after Christmas. So I hope that you had an amazing day. I hope that you're I hope that your Christmas was blessed. I hope that you were able to enjoy it with family and friends, possibly even some strangers. I hope that it was an encouraging day. I hope it was a relaxing day. I hope it was an exciting day. And I I just hope that you I just hope that the day was everything that you needed it to be. I hope that you were able to receive or experience a sense of peace and rest in a sense of hope. So, Merry Christmas to you all. We're moving on. Uh, So today's episode, it marks the end of the Advent series that we have been doing here through the month of December. And it kind of raises a couple questions in my mind because, you know, I mean, the day is done, you know, the big day, the big Christmas day that we have been waiting for and working towards. And, you know, the anticipation has been building. We've been decorating. We've been planning. We've been, you know, you know, it's like uh, once the day is done, there's all the, you know, I, I, I think I get the feeling that once Christmas is done, everybody is just <laughs> exhausted <laughs> because of all the planning that went into it. Uh, leading up to it. So it kind of raises the question of, you know, like going forward, now what? I mean, the carols have been sung, the gifts have been opened, the pictures with the family have been taken, the food and the drink have been imbibed and enjoyed. And, you know, the big exciting day has come, it's been enjoyed and it is now gone. And it kind of raises questions in my mind of what do we do now with Advent? Because we're still in that Advent season. And so even though, you know, the big day is done, what do we do with Advent still? How are we to talk about Advent after the after the sparkle of it all has kind of diminished? Well, in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, we are going to encounter two people who may be able to help us with that. Our passage today picks up where the last one left off, or at least uh, a week later. Um, last week, In last week's passage, we were able to experience the wonderful birth of the Lord Jesus. In today's passage, picking up about a week later... Uh, We're going to be starting in Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. And really, we're going to start in verse 25. But uh, just let me set set up the situation here for us first. Jesus is about eight days old. And according to the law of Moses, that meant it was time to take the baby boy to the temple in Jerusalem for a series of practices, customary practices, that included circumcision, naming him 
giving him his name, which is to be Jesus, dedicating him to the Lord as a holy firstborn male, and making an offering to the Lord. These practices played an important role in ensuring a newborn's life started off righteously. So Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to dedicate him as one who was holy to the Lord. And while they were there, they encountered two people who added some dimension to this customary dedication. So we are going to read, begin reading in verse 25, verses 25, and I think we're going to go to about 38. So we're just going to go all the way through, and uh, then we'll kind of look back through it. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. There was a woman in my church congregation that I have known for a lot of years. She is a wonderful, lovely woman, and throughout her life, she has always had the heart of a servant and that of a helper. She has loved to sing the hymns 
singing God's praises, and she has always throughout her life displayed a rich creativity that has wrapped so many people in God's love. And she is in her late 90s right now. And whenever I talk with her, at some point she will usually make a make a comment that she doesn't know why God hasn't taken her home yet. When I read this passage of these two elderly people showing up in the temple, I get the impression that it is the job of the elderly to show us how to endure in hope. However strange this incident with Simeon and Anna might be, it is also the point. Hope has to come from somewhere. And hope that is real and true and strong is a hope that has had to endure. And we're better to find hope that has had to endure than in the hearts of the elderly. Who better to learn from, to learn hope from, than the people who have poured every last ounce of their lives into drawing near to the presence of God? When we look at when we look closely at these incidents with Simeon and Anna, there are a few patterns of perseverance we can observe that can help show us how to endure in hope. One, they persevered in God's presence. The temple in Jerusalem was considered to be the place where heaven and earth overlapped, making the temple the central place of God's presence. Jews would often gather here during special seasons to make offerings, but those who deny those who desired to exert extra levels of devotion would also spend extended periods of time here in prayer and fasting, listening to the scriptures being read, and turning those words into praises of God. And it appears that both Simeon and Anna did this regularly. The text says that the Holy Spirit rested on Simeon, and Anna herself was a prophet. And when we meet them, they are both permeated with God's presence and abounding in hope. They are abounding in hope because they've spent many of their years in the place of hope, in the place of God's presence. If we desire to endure in hope, Simeon and Anna show us that we need to be constantly connected to the place of hope, where hope can be found and where hope can flow. For us today, those environments or atmospheres are found amongst God's people. As the community filled with the Holy Spirit, the church community is now 
the place of God's presence. And I'm emphasizing people, not the building. The people of God are where we will encounter the presence of God. And where we will learn to endure in the hope of God. People like Hannah and Simeon. Another pattern that we observe is that they persevered in righteous living. Keeping the law of Moses was crucially important to the Jews, not only since earlier earlier generations that had returned from exile, but especially since the land had become influenced or corrupted by Greek culture and occupied by the Roman powers. In this day and time, keeping the law of Moses, it wasn't always assumed. There was always concern about compromises. Uh, Devout Jews would often go to great lengths to keep the law in order to demonstrate for those around them what holiness looked like and how righteousness could be taken seriously. And as devout Jews, both Anna and Simeon ordered their lives around the law's holy way, which formed them into people of holy character. People whose lives are set apart from the ways of this world to distinguish the righteousness of God. And keeping to this holy standard was an expression that their hope had endured. Their hope endured because they believed the reality of God's rule was, in fact, still reality. So persevering in this hope that God's rule was still real, keeping the standard demonstrated that they believed God's standard still mattered. Years later, Jesus' life and teachings would be revealed as the living protocol his followers were to imitate and order their life around. And as we see with Simeon and Anna, obedience and hope work together. Our perseverance in the way of Jesus correlates with our endurance and hope. Another observation that we see is that they persevered in prayer. And this phrasing is crucial. We're not talking about saying a prayer the simple act of saying a prayer, we're talking about how it's important to persevere in prayer. The difference is in the distance. The distance we go with God in prayer is what determines the degree to which it impacts us. The text specifically says that Anna never left the temple, but prayed there night and day. Anna was a woman who went the distance with God in prayer. And because of that, God relied on her as a prophet to communicate his good news to others. Perhaps to those who were not themselves going the distance with God in prayer. It raises the question, 
Why did Hannah pray night, day and night? I believe she prayed day and night because her life depended on it. I imagine that in the following up of her husband's death, whom she was married to for seven years, she suddenly found herself without a provider. And I imagine that in her great need, she cried out to the Lord in desperation. And what she found was a God who loved her and cared for her. And in that realization she discovered a whole new purpose for her life. A purpose to pray and to proclaim. To make known the God she had come to know. It's fascinating that verse 38 uses the word redemption because redemption is a word that was traditionally used in the law of relatives who would come and redeem their uh, kinsmen's wives by marrying them and keeping their kinsmen's line going, providing for the wife and the child. And after her husband's death, it appears that Anna experienced God as her Redeemer. And having encountered Jesus, she begins to proclaim him to all who were looking for God to redeem Israel. She first prayed because her life depended on it. And she continued to persevere in prayer because she discovered that God was deeply known through prayer. Persevering prayer had taught her to hope. The hope that endures is nurtured by the praying that perseveres. Those who go the distance with God in prayer are the ones whose hope endures. A fourth observation we can make here is that they persevered in pondering and perceiving God's purposes. When Simeon is introduced, the text says that he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. That line evokes a couple of things. One, that line kind of brings us back to where we started in the very first episode. That these were the days of Rome's occupation and Herod's rule. In other words, these were days where hope was in short supply. Simeon knows the world. He knows its hopeless, mean estate. But the other thing this line evokes is Isaiah chapter 40, where we read about the comfort that God longed to bring to his people. Both this line and the Isaiah 40 imagery suggest that much of Simeon's focus these days was concentrated upon that day when God would bring Israel the comfort promised. This is an image of someone directly engaging the prime reality that directs their lives. That driving force seems to be the singular thing Simeon focused on in his last days. And he spent his time and energy focused on prayerfully pondering and anticipating the arrival 
of the day God would begin to comfort Israel and make things right. And to sustain his hopeful endurance, it appears that God granted him a special grace that he would not die until he had seen God's Messiah. Well, now on this day, with God's Holy Spirit resting on him, Simeon is suddenly led into the temple and he finds Jesus. And taking him into his arms, Simeon declares how this child is the salvation that God has prepared for all the people. That this child will be revealed as the light that invites the outsiders out in the darkness to come gather round. And that this child will shine out the glorious worth Israel had always been called to embody. And after blessing his parents, Simeon tells Mary some words that are really echoes of what Mary has already foreseen. That Jesus will grow up to show up the darkness for what it really is. By disrupting how power is used in this world, and by destabilizing those who wield it. And Simeon clarifies that Jesus himself will be opposed for implementing God's justice, and that even Mary's soul will feel the stabbings Jesus undergoes. I think it's fitting that Simeon delivers these words in the temple, because the temple in this period and later years was a place that needed God to come in and turn its power dynamics upside down and scour it in his justice. So here in this place where the Jews believed that heaven and earth overlapped, Simeon declares that through Jesus, God's justice will rise and bring the cleansing it needs. All of this material that Simeon is talking about is a God's eye view of the future. And by taking time to ponder and perceive all that God has been doing and is still doing through Jesus, by taking that time, as Simeon did, our hope learns endurance. By possessing something to look forward to and anticipate, our hope learns to persevere. A final observation is that they persevered in passing on the faith. Do you remember the old joke, uh, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it still make a sound? Uh, the overlap there between sound waves and brain signals aside uh, that joke has always been about whether or not things matter if they're not witnessed. Simeon and Anna show us that it is the role of a witness to show how and why things matter. Not only did they behold the baby Jesus, but they vocalized why he mattered and why God is glorified in this baby. 
And not only did Simeon and Anna pass their faith on to those listening nearby, but they deliberately passed it on to Mary and Joseph. And I imagine that Mary and Joseph shared their experience of Simeon and Anna with Jesus many years later. And it kind of makes me wonder if their example that he heard about and learned about helped to shape in him a disciplined practice for prayer. So that years later, when Jesus entered the temple and knocked over the money changers' tables and proclaimed that this is supposed to be a place of prayer, I wonder if he remembered the stories of Simeon and Anna his parents had told him. Perhaps the actions that he took that day in the temple were originally set up by the actions that Simeon and Anna took with his parents that day in the temple. They passed their faith on. Their lives left a trail for Jesus to follow. Simeon and Anna's lives and example leave a trail for us all to follow. They show us how to endure in the hope of God. So, now that the gifts are unwrapped, and the parties are over, and the sparkle has kind of diminished, what do we do with Advent? Both Simeon and Anna's examples show us to abide in the hope that endures. Abide in the kind of hope that endures. Why? Last night I came across a uh, brief uh, poem by the activist, uh, philosopher, and theologian Howard Thurman. And it is titled The Work of Christmas. And it's short, but poignant. He writes... When the song of the angels is still, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner. To rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. Why must we abide in the hope that endures? Because the work of Christ that lies before us is going to require the enduring hope he has shaped within us. I want to thank you very much for listening into this Advent series. I hope that this series has helped you in some way to refortify your focus on our Lord Jesus. Jesus is God's King. Jesus is God's justice at work. Jesus is our peace. He is our salvation. He is our redemption, and the source of new creation. 
I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year abiding in Christ and enduring in hope. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Wayward Podcast. May your life be lived on the way of God's Word. Mm-hmm.